you. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you this morning. I, as usual, I have a few little props here. I have a, an unusual collection of props. <clears throat> I have a flashlight. doesn't look like a flashlight, but I have a flashlight, and I have a salt shaker. And my message this morning is flashlights and salt shakers. Go figure. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, Jesus made two statements that have tremendous importance to us as Christians. We can rest on the fact that our sins are forgiven and our names are written in the book of life. But how many of you know there's a period of time between the moment we get saved and our eternal visitation? There's a period of time. And God intends us to be doing something during that period of time. And Jesus makes the statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. Now, if there's one thing that <clears throat> I've come to believe passionately in my heart, it's this. That God doesn't exaggerate. We may never see the fulfillment of everything that God intended, but that's not God's fault. God has endowed us with the seeds of His incorruptible nature, and He has put inside of each and every one of us the remaking, the rebranding, the new creation that is formed and fashioned into the likeness of Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the ministry of apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists is to build up the body of Christ so that we won't be swayed back and forth by every wind of doctrine until each and every one of us comes into the full stature, the full lightness, the full measure of Jesus Christ himself. So God has endowed you. When you have been born again, you have not been born again of a corruptible seed, but you have been born again of the incorruptible likeness that is in Jesus Christ. And the, the ministry of the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers is to raise up the church so that they come to the realization of what is inside of them. Your name isn't just written in the book of life. The book of life is being written inside of you. Hallelujah. Everything internally is changing if we would only open our minds and make our salvation more than our escape route from earth to heaven. I'm saved to have a radical influence on the earth. I started this series and the series is called The Cultural Revolution. And too often the church is not the incentive and the initiator of a cultural revolution because we have reduced salvation to a concept of my sins are forgiven, I feel good now, and my name is written in the book of life. But Jesus said, you have been born again to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I started this by saying I don't believe that God exaggerates. And you, you and I as people, we are the church. And God has vested in us everything necessary to be the light to the world and the salt of the earth. Now I don't believe that's hyperbole. You might say, well, 
It sounds like it. It only sounds like it because we haven't stepped up into the fullness of what our destiny really is. It might sound like hyperbole or exaggeration because we haven't stepped into the reality of understanding the fullness of this revelation. We are often salvation-orientated and we just think of our personal salvation. Jesus came to personally save me, but then saving me, he wants to save the world through me and through you. Can I get an agreement? He says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I'm going to ask my sound team if they would just help me for a brief moment or the media team. Uh, if you would just step down someone out of the sound booth, elect somebody, and turn all the lights out, even the sconces, the uh, colored lights, I want you to turn out all the lights, everything. Now we have a little bit of light on the screen, so let's turn that off as well. Well, I don't know if we can. All right? You and I have been called to be the light of the world. Now a light will do two things. Number one, you and I can emanate light like this. And so anyone who comes around us comes into the sphere of our light. And I'm sure this is wreaking havoc with the TV cameras right now. If uh, you're watching by live stream, we're still here. <laughs> the light is meant to emanate from within us and shine around. But at times the light is also meant to uh, be the thing that points. <laughs> I'm looking for the button. <laughs> I lost it. There you go. It's also meant to be the way to shine the light to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we're the light in that the light of Christ is in us, and it surrounds us, and it shines out of us, but also with a light pointing to the cross and pointing the way to take people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You could turn the lights on for me. That'll be great. All right. <clears throat> we are the light of the world. But then the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. I want to talk to you about salt for a minute. Because I think the church has done a better job at being the light than it's done at being the salt. We're meant to be both the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Two very different analogies, and they serve two very, very different purposes. I want to make that really clear. We've understood the importance of pointing the way to the cross. We've become excellent at finding novel ways to lead people to Jesus Christ. We've learned how to be the light in that sense. But I think sometimes we faltered as a church in being the salt of the earth. Salt has been used by humans for thousands of years for preserving food. Salt has a preservative attribute. And so, so uh, food salted is food that stays edible for a very, very long time. Salt will preserve the, uh, the goodness of food. Uh, salt's ability to preserve food was a major contributor to the development of civilization. Long before we had refrigeration, we had salt. And because of that fact, salt played a prominent role in determining the power and the location of the world's cities. Cities were actually established where there were salt deposits because salt was so critical to life in those days. 
In fact, salt was a contributing factor to the rising up of empires and even the destruction of empires. So I find it an interesting thing that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You see, we want to point people to Jesus Christ, but what we don't want to do is get onto that awkward ground and that awkward situation of talking about rights and wrongs. I remember when I was a young man growing up in Australia and I was coming into the ministry. I was a youth worker and then a youth pastor and worship leader and then eventually went out and started a pioneer churches. I remember on one such youth event, it was a citywide crusade with a, a well-known Australian biker who got saved. And he started a thing called the God Squad. And uh, he'd go around to the schools, long-bearded guy on his big Harley, and his biker friends would roll up with him, and they would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They often preached the gospel from a perspective of social justice, which is very relevant and very, very important. But they preached and presented Christ to an emerging generation. And so as a youth leader, you know, I hooked my, my wagon to this opportunity to spread the gospel and to get into the schools and present Jesus Christ to young people. But I remember at one such event, a, a fellow youth leader said to me, it's not our job to talk about rights and wrongs. We just point the way to the cross. It's God's job to convict them of sin. And it just didn't sit right in my heart. I believe it's our job to preach truth. And when you preach truth... Truth will expose right and wrong. It's God's job to convict the heart, but it's my job to speak truth. Can I get an agreement? In Malachi chapter 2, I had quoted uh, some verses, and I've narrowed it down to repeat uh, just certain segments of those verses that I shared for my sermon last week. And in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1, and then verse 5 to 8. This is what the prophet says, or the Lord God says through the prophet. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. I want everyone to stand up for a moment. Would you do that? I'm going to keep you on your toes today. Now, I want you to slowly turn around and look at everybody in this congregation. Every person you just laid your eyes on has been called into the ministry full-time. Full-time. Now, the ministry looks very different because there are different types of ministry. Now, I want you to turn to a person closest to you, and I want you to point a finger at them. Not an accusation. And I want you to point that finger and say, you are a minister. Now, if you've really done what I just asked you to do, somebody just pointed to you as well and said, you are a minister. So am I making the point quite clear that while some are called to be apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, every one of us are called to be ministers of God? Have I made that point clear? We could do the whole exercise all over again. All right, you can take your seats. Thank you for being such good sports. So now let me preach to ministers in this room. Malachi chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. Verse 5 to 8. My covenant, my covenant with him, Levi is a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. God has given you a covenant of life and peace. If you are born again, if you have asked Jesus Christ in his heart, 
You are a priest of God Most High, and He's made a covenant with you as a priest of life and of peace. He goes on and He says, And I gave them to Him. This called for reverence, and He revered me and stood in awe of my name. We did that, and hopefully we do that all the days of our life. But when we worship, it's one of the things we're doing. There, in a world filled with busy agendas, we take time, and in fact, we don't worry about time, and we worship. Why? Because in these moments, we want to be filled with the awe of God and show reverence to who He is. Can I get an agreement? But then it goes on to say, true instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people will seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. I made a mention last week that the book of Malachi, we often quote from it when we want to preach on tithing, which I think is a, a travesty because the book of Malachi stands on its own merit and doesn't have to be used only as a prop to teach about tithing and offerings. Malachi is a book that was written to the nation that it had been in a place of apostasy. And Malachi writes to the priests, and he's speaking prophetically to the priests, and he's saying, God has an issue with you. And at this point, we'd like to dip out and say, okay, well, that's not relevant to me. No, in the new covenant, every one of us are priests. And God says, I've made a covenant with you. And every one of us are thrilled that we have life, we're born again through Jesus Christ, and we have peace because our sins are forgiven. But there is a covenant with us that we will be in awe of him and reverence him. And the covenant goes on to say that we will teach people from right and wrong. And God, through Malachi, was telling the priests of his day that they had sinned and they were no longer speaking the truth. They were more concerned about being popular than they were about being right with God. And so he says here, and I'm going to read it again. The lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. Listen, if the priests of God are not speaking into the generation, if the priests of God are not familiar with the ways of God and the word of God and the requirements of God, if the priests of God are not standing up and speaking loud enough so that they can be heard, then instead of the priests of God leading a cultural revolution, people who are lost will lead a rebellion. You and I are meant to influence this nation. And oftentimes we think only in terms of leading our neighbor to Jesus Christ. Without a question, that is of paramount importance. That every man and every woman will come into a vibrant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it is our calling and our destiny to find creative ways to befriend our neighbors and the people around us and lead them to the truth of Jesus Christ. But we're also salt, and salt preserves. And what's happening in America is that our morality and our moral standing is eroding away. And for it to erode away, it means that the salt is losing its ability to preserve the earth. 
I said to you two weeks ago, and I said it again last week, America is where America is because the church of Jesus Christ is where the church of Jesus Christ is. We've listened to secular, secularists and we've allowed them to frame our worldview. And in these last few decades, we've allowed the people of the world to redefine what our constitution means. They talk about separation of church and state. And they try to muzzle the mouth of preachers and threaten us to, with, with the threat of losing our 501c3 if we preach politics. But I want to tell you, I'm not here to preach politics. I'm here to preach the moral standards of God, the ways of God, and the requirements of God. Can I get an amen? And when our founding fathers talked about separation of church and state, you have to interpret the Constitution in the context of what it was written in. And if you understand how this nation was founded, you would understand that because of the Dark Ages and the Reformation, politics was invading the church, and as revivals were breaking out, and great reformers were stepping up with the truth of God's word, the church was so political and tied to the government, it was punishing the leaders of revival, and it was stopping the flow of reformation and a transformation. And so pilgrims came to this country to find religious freedom. But today, people in society, the secular world, wants to convince you that you've got to keep your Christianity outside of the governing affairs of our nation. And if we keep our Christianity outside of the governing affairs of our nation, there is only one possible conclusion, and that is we will have a godless nation. It is imperative that you understand you're not just called to be the light of the world and shine a light to the cross and lead people to Jesus Christ. God put you on the earth to be salt and the greatest value that salt has is in its ability to preserve. We enjoy salt as a spice, as a flavoring, and without question, it will bring more robust flavor out of whatever it is we've salted. But what gave salt its great value? What caused salt at times to even be used as currency in the ancient world is the fact that it has the ability to preserve. And if Jesus Christ calls you and me the salt of the earth, we are meant to be having a preserving effect of the moral standard and the moral climate of our nation. We are now on the political floor debating whether or not we should legalize things like marijuana for recreational purposes. We are now facing political agendas that are so immoral and so unrighteous that even Christians don't see what's immoral about it. We have lost connection with the Word of God. And a thing like marijuana today, many Christians think, why would that even be sin? Well, I'll tell you. Any drug that's tied to you stepping out of having self-control over your thought life and having what we used to call a trip, having a, a hallucinogenic experience is the absence of self-control and it becomes the vacuum for demonic activity. Self-control will always be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy will always look for ways to take humanity out of a positive, disciplined, governing mind 
and take them to a place of broken thought patterns where there are inconsistencies because there will never be a firm foundation and that mind will be easily conquered. The reason why alcohol is a problem in excess is that it releases a person of their sensibilities and releases them from the rigors and the restraints of self-control. And the enemy is forever introducing things that are pleasing to the eye, pleasing to the flesh, pleasing to the soul, but they are always damaging to the spirit. And we are living in a day where the church has not talked on these subjects and therefore, just like Jeremiah, I read to you a couple of weeks ago, Jeremiah chapter 5, the prophet says, surely I'll go up and down the streets. God's challenged me to see if I find anybody who understands the ways of God and the requirements of God. And after his futile attempts... And he came up empty-handed. He says, surely, if I go to the leaders, they'll understand the requirements of God and the ways of God. And then he went to the religious leaders and the governing leaders of his day, and he said, even they have become dull and devoid of understanding the ways of God and the requirements of their God. And he says, therefore a lion will wait in ambush for them and a leopard will attack them and devour them. Listen, when righteousness is the plumb line of our personal lives and when righteousness is the plumb line of our government, then as we continue to move forward with righteousness as the standard, the Bible says that it keeps the enemy at bay. God will always build his throne on righteousness and justice. The enemy will always build his throne on sin or lawlessness and injustice. Can I get an amen? amen. Are you with me, church? All right. Praise God. I want to show you a video. It's a six-minute video. You say, that's a long video to show in church. It's full of really good information. And I want you to see this video because I believe that the balance of power in our nation is in the hands of the Jesus Christ, is in the hands of the church of Jesus Christ. You say, why do you honestly believe that we are the swing vote I believe we can be, but I also believe that if we move forward and act like priests of the Most High, whether we are numerically the swing vote or not, in prayer and in a session, we always are. Absolutely. And so I'm going to take a moment, we're going to dim the lights, and I'm going to play a video that goes back to the early 1950s and the 1960s and they start talking about history from that point forward it's called how the sexual revolution hijacked the feminist movement we're going to dim the lights Let's begin our story with the 1950s and early 60s. That period of time which is often criticized as the epitome of women's oppression under a patriarchal system. I'm not going to let a woman talk to me like this. This meeting is over. Good luck, Miss Megan. In the 50s and 60s, women did face genuine problems of inequality and oppression, lacking the opportunities that men had to excel educationally and vocationally. In the workplace, it was common to hear of women that were fired simply for being pregnant. In her landmark book called The Feminine Mystique, a feminist named Betty Friedan, who herself had been fired for being pregnant, issued a war cry for equal opportunity for women in every sphere of life. Betty became leader of the National Organization for Women, and her initial stance for women's equality, which excluded abortion, was consistent with the early feminists who came before her. Alice Paul, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and other suffragettes, those heroes of feminism, agreed that abortion was wrong, but they also saw it as a sign of female oppression, often used by men to control and abuse women. Betty opposed treating women merely as sex objects, and she defended motherhood and the family. 
Betty said, you want a feminism that includes women who have children and want children because that's the majority of women. So how did the sexual revolution of Hugh Hefner and Helen Gurley Brown take over the women's movement of Betty Friedan? Answer, two more men, white and upper middle class, whose goal was to legalize and mass market abortion all across America. Larry Later and Bernard Nathanson were abortion advocates who would go on to found the abortion advocacy group NARAL, which still exists today. Later's goal was the complete repeal of abortion laws as a means to controlling population growth and upsetting sexual morality. He was the biographer and good friend of Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood. But Later's ideas on abortion were so radical, even for Sanger, that it fractured their relationship. It wasn't until another man, Alan Guttmacher, took over Planned Parenthood that the organization began publicly advocating the mass legalization of abortion. Abortion was mainly an upper middle class white man's practice and later worked hard to push it on the feminists, knowing they could promote it even better than he could, if only they'd buy in. In Aborting America, Bernard Nathanson records what later said to him at their NARAL meetings. If we're going to move abortion out of the books and into the streets, we're going to have to recruit the feminists. Friedan has got to put her troops into this thing, while she still has control of them. We've got to keep the women out front, and some blacks, black women especially. Just as Helen told lies to sell the Cosmo Girl, later in Nathanson told lies to sell abortion. As Nathanson would later confess, we sensationalized the effects of illegal abortions and fabricated polls which indicated that 85% of the public favored unrestricted abortion when we knew it was only 5%. When we spoke of deaths due to illegal abortion, it was always 5,000 to 10,000 a year. I confess that I knew the figures were totally false. But these lies were so effective that later was able to win over many people, including Betty Friedan. On November 18, 1967, in the Chinese room of the Mayflower Hotel in DC, Betty insisted that abortion be inserted into the National Organization for Women's platform. Abortion was adopted by the votes of 57 people, after which a third of the women at the conference resigned from the National Organization for Women. Larry's lies and propaganda even made their way into the infamous Roe v. Wade decision, with his book Abortion being cited no less than seven times in the court's opinion. After abortion on demand was legalized, the rates of abortion and divorce skyrocketed, while birth rates dropped and marriage rates plummeted. Today, Americans commit about 1 million abortions per year. That's 2,700 preborn children killed every day, and more than a third of abortions are committed by Planned Parenthood. Seeing trends like these, even back in 1981, Betty Friedan wrote a follow-up book called The Second Stage, expressing her regrets that the feminist movement had demonized the family. Bernard Nathanson left his position at NARAL, converted to Catholicism, and became a pro-life activist, producing one of the most important anti-abortion films of all time, The Silent Scream. There is no question this child senses the most mortal danger imaginable. But let's think back to the beginning of our story, to one of the moments that first stirred the fire in the soul of Betty Friedan when she was fired for being pregnant. To say that abortion was a solution to her pregnancy is, in essence, to agree with her boss. It is to say that her pregnant self is the problem, that her natural ability as a woman is the problem, and that her child is the problem. Abortion has done nothing to correct the oppression and inequality that women in these situations face. It perpetuates it. Abortion is an excuse for men, businesses, and communities to neglect, exploit, and discriminate against women. Rather than support the mother and her child, they forcibly divide the two, pressuring the mother to have her child killed. Abortion is the ultimate manifestation of the oppression of women, and women and children cannot be liberated in society until abortion is unthinkable. Telling women they must have the ability to take the lives of their children in order to achieve fulfillment is not empowering. True feminism seeks to promote all aspects of who a woman is in her education, in her vocation, in her marriage, and in her motherhood. For it is that commitment to a holistic view of women and children in all of their personhood that will truly set us free. For more on the story of how the sexual revolution hijacked the women's movement, see the book Subverted by Sue Ellen Browder. And we thought the term fake news was a new phrase. 
there's been fake news for a long, long time. And certain people in power with ulterior motives have been spoon-feeding us as Americans. Listen, when we preach about right and wrong, it's not to condemn. It's not to beat people up. There isn't a stone that I can throw that I don't deserve to have throw, be thrown at me. I'm not here to condemn anyone. A couple of weeks ago, I preached about the topic of repentance and how the church has been characterized as when it preaches repentance, it's always in anger and in violence and fear tactics. And yet I showed you how the prophet Isaiah spoke through the Holy Ghost and talked about one would come who would prepare the way of the Lord. And he would be like a voice calling in the wilderness. And in that very passage, the prophet by the Holy Spirit says, comfort the people, comfort the people. We have believed the lie that repentance is anything but comforting the people. We have believed the lie that to preach repentance is to beat people up and tell them how useless they are. And that isn't the truth. You see, you could preach about right and wrong and preach about right and wrong in a loving way, an understanding way, a caring way, and in a redeeming way. Don't let the world manipulate your concept of, re uh, of repentance. Don't let the world make you afraid to stand up and be a priest who preserves knowledge and turns people from the error of their ways. We have settled on being the church that will flash the flashlight and point it to the cross, but we have avoided our role in society as being the salt that preserves society. We have believed too many lies. We've not allowed our faith to come into our politics. We've not allowed our faith to speak loudly. We want a nation filled with justice, but we want the standard of morality to be defined by every person according to their own free will. Last week I shared a message about the plumb line of righteousness and how righteousness will always be God's plumb line. It'll create dead center, and that rulers will rule with justice. You can't rule and have a straight, secure house, a firm house, if you don't have a plumb line that is true and a plumb line that is righteous. And so we have an America today that uh, perpetuates ideals of justice without God's standard of righteousness. And so to illustrate the point, in a moment, I'm going to show you another video that's only a couple of minutes long. But I want you to see how when righteousness isn't the plumb line, the cry for justice becomes inconsistent. And justice that isn't equal in every situation isn't justice. God talks a lot about justice in the book of Proverbs. And he says, I hate it when people use differing weights to measure. That's injustice. I want you to understand today that while I am touching different topics, these may have been topics that have touched your life in the past. I'm not here to condemn anyone. Jesus Christ came for sinners like me. And every one of us were broken without him. And every one of us have sinned. And it's not our place to condemn or to berate or to shame. But it is our place to be the light that points to Jesus and to be the salt that preserves a godly standard. Can I get an amen? Amen. Praise God. If you have been involved in abortion, please hear my heart. I'm not here to condemn you or make you feel worse. In fact, if you've never had counseling on the subject 
And this causes things to surface that's called ministry. And we have able people like Pastor Jan and people like Lynn and other excellent workers, female workers, who would be more than willing to sit with you and pray with you and bring about a spiritual healing and a godly resolution in your life. Repentance is about comforting the people. Sin is the enemy's deception that actually entangles us and makes us worthless while trying to pervade an image that we are all important. But preaching repentance is the truth that puts value on you and says you're worth hearing the truth. And God not only wants to save you, he wants to heal you and mend you. Can I get an amen, church? Are you with me? Amen. So, justice without righteousness as a plumb line will never be justice. It will be inconsistent in how it dulls out its brand of justice. Thank you, guys. No, not that video. I, I apologize. I actually prepped it in the wrong order. Okay? Can we have the other video, Jade? My apologies.
abortion was allowed in our nation on the basis that back then, when the case was argued, they were not able to prove and substantiate the fact that a fetus is actually a human being and entitled to the protection of our Constitution. We didn't have the technology or the medical advances then that we have today. And today we have the ability through video to watch a fetus growing all the way up until the point of birth. I remember when, just before our children were born, we would get those grainy black and white ultrasounds, and you'd, you almost had to be, uh, um, have a degree just to decipher what was the head and what was the bottom of the uh, baby in the ultrasound. But today they have 3D color imaging that is so powerful and so effective. There's no question that a baby outside the womb is a baby inside the womb. And just to be sure, we're going to put that up as a screen. I want you to see the words. To be sure, a baby outside the womb is a baby inside the womb. And we may not, we may not have... Okay, all right. Uh, just hold on a second, guys. Uh, do we have the words... These guys do a tremendous job. They often get my messages at the last moment and they're quickly putting everything together and I take full responsibility. But I wanted the slide of just the words to be sure a baby outside the womb is a baby inside the womb. The argument has been that it's just tissue. And so the argument has been, well, if it's only tissue, it's a woman's right. It's her body. Years ago, before we had the scientific evidence and proof, they argued, incorrectly, but they argued, they convinced the judges that it was only tissue growing inside of a woman. And this whole phrase, this whole concept, it's a woman's right, stemmed from the fact that it was a woman's right over her body because it isn't a human being. But today we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that a fetus has its own unique DNA instantly. And that somewhere around the age of 11 weeks, it already has its own unique fingerprints. It, its heart starts to beat just within the first early weeks. And that child, we're going to show this video now that keeps popping up. And it's a cute video. But, we, you know, as Americans, we love before and after pictures. You have a makeover and you have a before picture and you have an after picture, right? Well, we're going to show this video. This is before and after. And to be sure... A baby outside the womb is a baby inside the womb. Thank you.
there are many things that make America great. Abortion isn't one of them. There are many things that make America great. Social injustices aren't some of them. There are many things that make America great, but that doesn't mean that there isn't room to make her even greater. I am preaching to you today and coming to my conclusion that if we all understand that we're called to be the light of the world, do we also understand we're called to be the salt of the earth? And the salt's greatest value is in its ability to preserve. Our moral standard is not being preserved. And we could get so hung up on whether we vote as a Democrat or we vote as a Republican. And I'm telling you that as Christians, you have an obligation to vote as a son of God. We have a moral obligation, you know, to stand up and speak righteousness. We are more concerned at times that our vote be cast for the right economic program. I want to tell you, we've had Democrats and we've had Republicans, and America's still been in a mess. So why don't we try something different and try voting according to the Word of God? Can I get an agreement? We need to examine the moral issues of our society, and we need to come before God with repentance and then with conviction. If we don't come with repentance, we'll never have conviction. And unfortunately, the topic of abortion isn't usually a conviction in many churches. Most churches would prefer to be silent because preaching things that are uncomfortable doesn't make church a fun place to go to. Listen. I'd rather have my fun after I'm right with God than someone try to appease me while I am in error and at odds with God. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. We as Americans are facing a very important time. And I urge you, the same way the Spirit of God has been raising up prayer meetings around the country, calling us to repentance, what good is it to fast and to pray and then vote the same way we've always voted? You need to vote. You need to pray. We need, we need to repent. But we need to let our voice be an extension of God's voice. Do you know why the prophets were held in such high esteem? Because they spoke the word of the Lord. Be a priest. You're called to be a priest. Be a priest who preserves knowledge and leads people from sin. Be the voice of God. When you cast your ballot, I don't care what party your mother was. I don't care what party your father was. What I care about is that we all start again at the cross. <laughs> and we are a new creation. And we need to vote according to biblical moral standards. And if we don't, we can't complain about the legalization of drugs. We can't complain about the lowering of the age of consent. Even that's being tabled in California. We can't complain about what's been eroding in our nation if we're not willing to stand up and speak the word of God. Can I get an amen today? Would you stand with me? If everyone would look at me for a moment. I don't know how aware you are of how things work on social media. But if this video this sermon gets flagged. It'll be off of Facebook in a heartbeat. No pun intended. It'll be off of YouTube just as fast. 
About a year ago, God put it on my heart to get behind the movie Unplanned. And we, a little church, made national news. Two weeks of preparation. Some people, even in my church, got angry at me and left. And that's okay. I'd love for everyone to love me. But that's never going to happen. I want to make sure that I can love everyone, even the people who disagree with me. But I want to make sure that more than anything, I keep the love of my Father on me by doing what's right. Amen. Amen. We have an awesome right to speak into our government. We have a privilege that so many societies don't have. Don't waste your vote. Vote. But don't vote based on your family's culture. Don't vote based on your ideological culture. Our transformation only comes, the Bible says, when we are renewed in our mind according to the Word of God. Everything inside of you and everything inside of me must line up with God's Word. Don't rely on the fact that you prayed a prayer and your sins are forgiven and you had euphoria and your name's written in the book of life. Be the man of God and the woman of God you were born again to be. Be priests of the Most High. There are many things in our nation that can be better. But we have the power to make them better. We have the power to make them better. Look, the number one thing that wins votes, the number one topic always that sways people the most is the economy. I tell you to tithe. You give 10%, and I tell you, God says you'll have more. 10% from 100% leaves 90%. What are you, smoking drugs? It doesn't work. Yes, it does. It's God's Word. And I'm telling you that the first and primary issue is not the economy of this country. It's righteousness. Look, I have, I have very definite opinions on fiscal policies. I have my political leanings. Of course I do. I have to vote for someone. And they're going to represent some party. But I am not stuck to a party. I am stuck to the Word of God. And I know the same way I preach in this church. And I'll preach whatever God puts on my heart. I don't worry about my wallet. I don't worry about my paycheck. I don't worry about whether or not I'll have a congregation tomorrow. Somewhere we have to have men and women who believe in a cause strong enough that they're willing to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. Somewhere the church of Jesus Christ has got to be willing to take up the cross and join the fight. Somewhere the body of Christ needs to stand up and not ask what God can do for them, but what they can do for the kingdom of God on earth. This is what I know. The Bible says righteousness will exalt a nation, but sin is a reproach. And so whatever your financial, health care, ideologies are, et cetera, et cetera, I think it is very important we are at a critical time 
where we could actually start to see the dismantling of all the fabric that has established abortion. We have the power. This is a monumental moment in our history as a nation. And I believe that it's a turning point. And it'll either be a turning point for righteousness or it'll be a turning point for a war that could have been won and a war that's lost. I'm calling you. You don't have to be here next week. You don't have to like me. But I'm still going to preach the Word of God. I'm calling every Christian to join the fight of righteousness. Not with closed fists, with love, with heart, with understanding, with grace, with mercy. Because every one of us wants fought the fort of lawlessness fought the fight of lawlessness we were all sinners and we're saved by grace can I get it amen 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 father you can do this more adequately than me and I pray that somehow you will unleash your Holy Spirit to awaken our consciousness and to bring conviction to the body of Christ first so that we, forget we the people, we, the church of Jesus Christ, will stand up and not only be the light of the world, but the preserving influence of the world. Father, Pour out your spirit and use people who are willing to stand up even if they have to stand alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, during uh, the movement for the movie Unplanned, all of, my detail, all of my emails were being censored. My private emails to leaders of religious movements, they were being sent back to me, undeliverable. And when I researched the code, it was because I spoke on the topic of abortion to fellow ministers. On Facebook, I would inbox Christian leaders to stir them up and agitate them from their position of complacency to jump in and I would get a big round red with a, uh, a line through it saying we cannot pass on your inbox message because it violates our policies. Really. I think there are a lot of things that violate God's policies. And I think it's time that we make a choice. That we either stand for God and His Word. You don't have to lose your dignity. You don't have to lose your grace. You don't have to lose your kindness or compassion. But whatever you do, don't lose your voice. Every Monday, you get these sermons. If you're part of this church, you get these sermons on your phone. If you don't get them, see Pastor Carlos or Jade. We'll put you on the list. We have now set it up so that you get the whole sermon on your cell phone. And then you get highlights that you can watch. And if you just want to listen to the worship, you can listen to just the worship. And if you didn't know, at the bottom of the, 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 the page... You can actually pull up the sermon notes. That's right. You can take the sermon notes and next week preach it better than Pastor Rob. I have no problem with that. Do it. But listen to me. I don't know how long this message will stay up. So on Monday, when you go home,
on Facebook, share this. Put, put this sermon on your page. Tell God it matters to you. Put it on your page. Share it. Send it to people on YouTube. Send people to YouTube. When you get our text tomorrow and you have this beautiful little app-like thing on your cell phone, one click, one click, and you could send it to everyone on your list. I'm asking you, don't just go to church. Be the church of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have an awesome week.